going on there. Scores! Roll the highlight reel. Six to nothing flame. Yankees put it in the wind column. This is Flames Talk with Pat Steinberg and Wes Gilbertson on Sportsnet 960 The Fan. We are underway this hour. It is Monday, September 11th. Steinberg, Wes, along with you this hour of Flames Talk. Welcome to the Sports Drive, brought to you by Calgary Lock and Safe. Save $450 on the Braun EV5922 gun safe. Now just $1450 or explore the full line of safes at Calgary Lock and Safe. We're available on Apple, Spotify, Google, Amazon, or wherever you get your podcast. Wes Gilbertson of Post Media, Pat Steinberg from our Doug Lacey's Basement Systems downtown studio. Last hour on Flames Talk, Wes gave us the go-ahead. I said he's the judge, he's the smart one of the duo, and so he gets to determine whether or not This counts as week one of training camp. Rookie camp starts officially on Thursday. Uh, A little practice at the Dome. Flight to Penticton, B.C. And then Friday, morning skate at the South Okanagan Event Center. Puck drop Friday night. Flames, Canucks, prospects at the Young Stars Classic. So as rookie camp is getting going this week, the uh, charity golf tournament later this week, I guess we got to kick it off by saying hello to the Director of Player Development for the Calgary Flames. It's uh, time to welcome Ray Edwards to Flames Talk on the Atlas Pizza and Sports Podcast Hotline, friend of the program. Hello, Ray. What's going on, guys? Great to be back with you. Be uh, excited to get going here this week. Is, is, a, is, is this officially underway for you as well? Are you, uh, can you confirm Wes's... Um, Wes's um, he, he confirmed it for us. Can you can you confirm that twice? Well, from the from the prospects perspective, 100%. This is training camp, so they uh, you know they'll start with the practice uh, on Thursday morning, and that will be the first time they'll be evaluated. I guess they really will be evaluated with their fitness testing and physicals on Wednesday. So yeah, they're they're starting Wednesday. So Wes. Kudos to you, my man. You're one and zero today. One and zero. You know, Ray. They Great start. They must have had you muted when Pat called me the smart one because I did not hear any laughter or <laughs> protest from your end of the line. I was screaming, but I was definitely muted because I was like, "Whoa, whoa, whoa! Where are we going with this?" That's great work by the producers on mute. By the way, well done, well done. yeah, good um, stuff. Ray, what's what's different? The last time we spoke to you was at development camp a couple of months ago, where you know all of these players that are on this rookie camp roster were also, uh, for the most part, at development camp. But that's you know that's a little bit different. You know, we don't talk as much about straight up evaluation at development camp. So, what's different now? Now that we're into September, now that we're calling it rookie camp, now that we got three games in Penticton, what what's different from your perspective once we get things going this week? Well, I think you hit it on the head, and I think Craig touched on this in development camp was that you know this really isn't a, a time to you know evaluate in the sense of you're trying to make a team in July. What we're trying to do in July is get to know each other and make sure everybody has a good plan moving forward and and they've got all the resources they need to get better and improve i can tell you without a doubt that that conversation will change when he addresses the group you know whether that's wednesday night or thursday before before we leave uh that this is now you're now trying to make a hockey club so i think that is the difference and and just checking in with all the players 
this week as they're getting ready to come. I mean, we made it pretty clear that, you know, are you ready? Are you ready to go? This is, this is, it's on now game on type of thing. So I know our guys are really excited. We've, we've kept in touch with them, you know, obviously all through the summer and for a lot of our guys well before that. And uh, this is, this is what they've been training for. And I'm excited to watch them all compete. Ray, when we're, uh, when we're talking about this rookie camp, I I wonder if, you know, even talking to some of your prospects, when Craig Conroy had his introductory news conference, he was very adamant about, we want to get younger. We want to give more opportunity for young players on the NHL roster. We want to make that a little bit more of a priority. Do you do you sense that kind of transferring to the prospects and, and maybe a little bit more of a buzz for some of your guys that you know there, there might be more opportunity for NHL playing time? No question. I think if you ask any player, that's all they ask for, right? It's just the opportunity to to earn a spot. And and I know that was big on Craig's sort of to-do list is to to have some opportunity for some of these young guys coming in. And that's what that's what will be so exciting about watching this tournament is seeing which one or two or a number of these guys can step up and, and earn that next opportunity to to join us in main camp and potentially get exhibition games and, and keep fighting all the way to opening, opening night. So that's, what's exciting for these guys. And I know that, you know, they're, they've pushed all summer to get that opportunity and they'll get the start here on Wednesday. The uh, t- tell us about the, cause you've been to many of these. I've had the opportunity to go to many of these events in Penticton, but from a development standpoint, when it comes to your group in player development, what uh, what makes this Young Stars Classic such a, an important opportunity, such an important or valuable evaluating tool for you? It's a great question. You know, I was you know I had the opportunity to do this as a coach in the American League when I was with Phoenix, and you know we we would do a tournament with with LA and Anaheim and those guys, those teams out out west. When I first came to Calgary, my first year, my first real you know, sort of kicked at the cat was, you know, my first meeting everybody was in Penticton. So I didn't know what to expect, but I learned pretty fast that that tournament was meaningful in terms of the teams were playing, obviously with Edmonton and Winnipeg and Vancouver being, you know, Canadian rivals. And then watching the battle of Alberta with the prospects in the first, the first game, the first time I was there and the intensity I remember Brian Burke and, and Brad feeling the intensity on their faces when that game was going on. And I realized very quickly that it, it was meaningful. And I think that's the number one thing, uh, Pat and Wes, is that this tournament is very competitive. It's, it's highly contested. Uh, all, all four of these teams want to win the tournament. And it's a great, um, a great situation in terms of evaluating players under the microscope, it's a you know obviously in a great Canadian market that the, the stands are are packed. Everyone's being evaluated, so there's no better uh, situation to sit and watch your prospects and see how they perform under that situation. Yeah, this is uh, it, it's not your run of the mill September game, right? Like I I'll, I will always oh, remember uh, Matthew Kachuk his first game. Oh, where... <laughs> that's what I was thinking about offhand was that night. Oh my lord! I was like, I, I had, I, I'd only ever seen him play in London, and I, you know, we had a good idea as to who he was. Be like, okay, 
Puck drop, Friday night, little Young Stars classic, and then right after Brendan Lemieux, elbow to the mush, and I was like, holy, yeah. like this guy, who is this person? And and but I, I bring that up because I remember Rasmus Anderson chirping, chirping yep. his way like a, a January NHL game. Like th- this is not your yep. run of the mill September hockey. No, it, it, it's you know I've been to a couple of these other of these tournaments and yeah, they're all intense and everything else, but the the fact that you have the the four Canadian teams and in, in that market and the and the intensity in the fan base, which is that 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 bowls over onto the ice and the players, you can feel it back in the in the dressing rooms before the game. I mean, it's it's intense, and I I like that about this tournament, Pat, is that you know these are meaningful games, even though they're not you know, you're not getting points on the standings. They're meaningful for these kids to earn that next opportunity. And so we, we, you know, we're trying to prepare them for that and get them ready. And, and, uh, you know, obviously we want them to, to all, all play well and all have success so that they can, they can take that next step as camp moves forward. We are chatting with Flames Director of Player Development, Ray Edwards, with us this hour on Flames Talk as we are kicking things off for Rookie Camp, which gets going on the ice on Thursday. And then Friday night, the Penticton Young Stars Classic gets going. My name's Pat Steinberg alongside Wes Gilbertson this hour on Flames Talk. Ray, I'm going to put you on the spot a little bit here and test your memory, but is there is there an example that sticks out for you of a player who maybe changed their trajectory in Penticton, a guy who who maybe wasn't not on the radar, but maybe a guy who, who changed the way the organization thought of him or what he could be capable of with a really strong performance at this young stars event. Well, it's, yeah, my memory's not great, but I can t- the first thing that comes to my mind is Adam Klopka last year. I know that's not going back too far, but you know, uh, we signed Adam in the off season Nobody knew a ton about Adam Klaska, but he was our best player in rookie camp last year in Penticton. And that sort of catapulted him into having a very successful sort of first year pro. And, you know, as we watched him, you know, dominate physically and, you know, take the puck and beat defense wide and, you know, hold on to pucks and create offense and got into a few scraps and just used his body. I mean, that was a great opportunity for us to kind of get a sense of what we might have with this player. So that's the first one that comes to mind. And I, I know, I know, like, I think my first one was, uh, I remember watching Rasmus and, and Andrew Mangiapani, and that was me coming in. Those two were sort of my, you know, those are my guys that I was going to be focusing a lot of time on. And I remember in that first, that first game against Edmonton Rasmus, like going nose to nose with Darnell nurse. Right. And I was thinking, yeah. oh my gosh, like this is, <laughs> this is intense. And, and so that right away, like that stuck in my mind right away with Rasmus, that this guy's competitive. This guy is, you know, you know, I didn't know anything about Rasmus at that point. So for me right away, I know, okay, we got a player here. We got someone that competes and Andrew was the same way in that tournament, if you remember. So, you know, those are maybe two, two examples of just players that I remember seeing in that tournament and going, wow, like this, this is a big stage. And they, they, they shot right out. I know there's always a ton of curiosity from a media and a, a fan standpoint on, on the more recent draft picks, the Sam Honzeks and Etienne Morans and Jaden Lipinski down the list. I'm curious from a development standpoint, when you get through the NHL draft at the end of June, what is the kind of onboarding process in, in terms of how do you go about meeting these guys, learning about these guys? How do you start to build your book on the newest players in the organization 
Well, it starts the night of the draft, uh, for example, like just meeting their parents, coming up to the, to the suite, introducing everybody. Uh, the first thing you do is, you know, if they're not at the draft, I'm on the phone with their agents and their parents right away, getting all the contact info. And then, as you guys know, we have development camp shortly after that. So that really is the start of it where we're able to sit down with them and, you know, look at their eyes and, and uh, you know, start the planning in terms of, okay, these are the areas of focus that we've got to nail down. Uh, and then who, who's going to be sort of taking the lead in different aspects of whether it's skating or nutrition or off ice or, you know, skill development or whatever it may be. So, you know, that's, that really is – development camp is a huge – piece to that and then we try to send them when they leave development camp we try to send them away with a real good plan and uh, understanding and then the follow-up process is weekly in terms of all aspects of development whether again it's skating or nutrition or mental or you know skill development those those people are involved as the summer moves on and that's why this is such an exciting time for us from a development standpoint because you can you start to see okay the did the work pay off? Did we do enough? Did we, you know, did we allocate the right resources? You know, were the kids bought in all that stuff? So, and I've, you know, I'm blessed to have a great crew, whether that's our strength and conditioning people or our skill development people or guys like Marty and Rebecca, they're just there in Rome all. They're all great at what they do and we've got a great team. So hopefully, uh, hopefully, you know, this week we'll see the sort of the, the benefits of all that hard work. I think uh, Pat and I both saw this, something we, we talked about in the last hour was a report out of Vancouver this weekend that Sam Honzek could be used potentially more often than not as a center if he's back with the Western Hockey League's Giants. I'm, I'm curious from a, a development standpoint, would you would you embrace the opportunity for a top wing prospect like Sam to play some center at the junior level? 100%. I don't think it's, it's a lot similar to Matthew Coronado, right? Like, you know, we drafted Matthew as a winger, but Teddy loved to use him at center. And that, that's, you know, that's a correlation to Matthew's intelligence and ability and trustworthiness to play that position. So um, if Sam's in that position, we would, we definitely have open arms in terms of that learning curve. And, you know, again, just being around and, you know, we'll have plenty of people around watching and, and helping him, but, uh, you know, playing, we've always said this, it's much easier to go from center to the wing than it is from wing to center. Um, so anytime we can get a, you can get one of your prospects to learn that position, it's good for the organization. Let me, uh, let me stay on that topic for a second with you. And in terms of Matt Coronado, you being based where you are, not far from Harvard, you've seen this young man play a lot of hockey. I know I, I'm curious for you to sort of walk away from a game in Penticton and, and say, we saw the best of, of Matt Coronado tonight. We saw the top traits in Matt Coronado. What, what would you have to see? What is it about his game that can kind of set him apart? Just that relentless on the puck. Um, you know, he's a second, third effort guy. He's, he's a guy that at the end of the night, you know, he's going to have four or five shots. So can he get himself open? Can he get into those tough areas to, to create offense. Um, you know, he's going to be on both sides of special teams. So, you know, he'll, he'll have an impact that way. But when, when Matthew is going, um, he is on the puck and he's creating loose pucks and he's, you know, 
they're, he's turning pucks over in the sense that he's on, on defensemen and they're turning pucks over and then he's able to get the benefit of the offense created from those turnovers. So that's when he's going. And I think you saw a bit of that in the game, you know, his, his only NHL game where he still, I think he created four or five good scoring chances and was mm-hmm. on the puck and creating turnovers. And so to me, that that's sort of the staple of him. He, you know, I've, I've talked to Matthew a lot about Andrew Mangiapane's game, and there are some similarities there in terms of how they how they create offense and how they have to play to be effective. And Matthew's very similar to Andrew that way. We're chatting with Ray Edwards, uh, Director of Player Development for the Calgary Flames, on this Monday edition of Flames Talk. We are getting you set, a little comprehensive preview of Rookie Camp, which starts this week, the Penticton Young Stars Classic, this weekend in the Okanagan. Uh, just, I, I wanted to ask, and I know that I know that you and I spoke, I think we spoke in person, I don't know if we did on the show or not, but the addition of Michael Stone to your development crew and having a blue line or two. And, and, you know, Wes and I have talked a lot on and off the air about, you know, a couple of your blue line prospects and, and, you know, whether it's Jeremy Poirier or newly drafted Etienne Morin or, or whatever, like you're talking about some, some really intriguing blue line prospects. And I just wonder about the value of adding a guy like Michael to your group and being able to work with those defensemen now. Well, it's, I, I, you know, I don't know if there's words. We, we've been trying to find the right person to sort of join the team. And, you know, it just so happened with Michael's, you know, situation that he was ready to sort of move on. And I have to say, like, we were we were on it pretty quick and we knew that that was going to be the case. And, and I couldn't be happier. I think he's already had an impact on our young people. So, you know, he's been working closely with Ilya Solovov and Jan Kuznetsov and Jeremy Poirier, uh, obviously with Etienne. Um, you know, these, these young players have already, uh, you know, sort of reaped the benefits of Mike. He's been in contact with them since, since he started, uh, whether it's on the phone, doing Zoom calls, um, you know, on the ice, those types of things. So, I mean, he'll be invaluable to us. Um, I know Jake Boltman, you know, spoke really highly of him, just having him on the ice in development camp, like just learning from a guy that just finished playing. Like you can't, you can't put a price on that. Like Mike, you know, there's there's guys that have played a, a, a lot of games, but if it's 10, 15 years ago, the game has changed and sort of the dynamic has changed. And Mike just went through that. So I'm, I'm really lucky because, you know, I coached Mike when he was a, in his entry-level deal uh, with us in Phoenix. Yeah. Um, and then, co- then was able to coach him again here in Calgary and now have him on my development team. So I'm really fortunate to be able to, you know, it's been, that's been a few years now, right? So... I couldn't be more happy to have him on board, and I know our, our young defense are going to really reap the benefits of that. I remember I remember talking to him on the day it was announced and, and sat down with him and, and chatted about it. And I, I was, you know, a lot of times when you talk to a guy who's just retiring, like it's, it's you know, you can kind of pick up. It's like, okay, there's a big transition coming, and, and your playing days are done. I Like, I can't remember a guy more at peace with retiring and moving to the next stage of his career than, than Michael was. Is, has that continued as he's sunk his teeth into the development job? 100%. I think you guys would agree with me that, you know, Mike did everything asked of him. He left everything on the ice. He There was nothing left for him to give. Uh, so I think there was a real peace with him. Like uh, we all know what he went through the last few years, and 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 what a what a unbelievable 
mentor and man that he was with our group and how he conducted himself through all that. So I think he's just re, uh, you know really at peace with the decision and you know I think he you know he remembers what it was like to be a young player and going through this um this this process. So he's got a real passion to help these these young blue liners. How for for Jeremy Poirier especially I remember when he was drafted and his first development camp uh it always stuck with me when you you said that there are just there are things that he has as part of his game that you simply cannot teach or you you cannot um get you you can't instill in somebody their natural abilities that a player has but as jeremy's been very very uh, forthright about is that he knows his defensive game and his play away from the puck and his play in his own zone needs to take some steps i for him specific, specifically, having a guy who you know, that was part of his, that was one of his calling cards in Michael Stone. I just wonder how important specifically that may, might be for Jeremy. Well, Mike and I were talking about Jeremy, and you know he wasn't there when we first started working with Jeremy. But Ken's in a little bit of the same boat in terms of you know he's got a ton of offensive raw ability, sees the ice, he's got that sense and calmness and poise with the puck. But Ken's body's got to change, and he's got to. Uh, learn how to check and and have a better stick and understand angles and uh, use his feet to defend and those types of things. So a lot similar to to Jeremy, but with Jeremy, one of the things, the first things we had to just kind of get our understanding on was, you know, his whole routine coming to the rink early and nutrition and sleep and just that whole foundation of how you got to be a pro. And if you don't have those foundational blocks, um, it's really tough to do the other. And that's where Stoney, we, we were actually talking about this a week ago or so, just about about that process of becoming a pro and learning and what he had to learn and, you know, how much he learned. And we didn't have, like back then, it was basically your American League team. Yeah. That was your development people. So now, you know, having him on our team and having the, the Marty Jelenas and the Rebecca's and the Danielle's and the rest of our crew, Darren, and we got so many people now. It's amazing um, to have all these resources for these young, young players is, is absolutely uh, critical to their development. How uh, two two more for you, Ray one, how many of uh, specifically your prospects, the guys in your system, did a lot of them stick around Calgary and, and, and try to, you know, use that as an opportunity to give themselves a leg up heading into camp. Yeah, we did have a few because of some of the the rules and such. You you know, you have to. There's certain rules and regulations, so you can't. You know, you can't. You know, there's they have to sort of want to do it and pay their own way and those types of things. But we did have some people that took us up on the invite, and again, being able to train with our people and you know, Ricky Davies is unbelievable in terms of the strength and conditioning and and fitness aspects. So to have some of our young people here and training with the likes of Dylan Dubé and some of our American league guys that are around town. It's, it's, you know, you can't put a price on that versus versus maybe going home and training with players, their own age or junior players. It's just a different dynamic, right? So we really encourage them to try to do that. And if they have the means to do it, they do. So we were lucky to have a few of those players stick around and, and train with us this summer. And, 
but that's why you have a development team. If you know these players that go back home, we have to be on them. We have to be talking to their trainers. We have to be talking to their skills coaches and their skating coaches and making sure we're all on the same sheet of music. And so that's that's why the development team is so important, just to make sure that they have all the resources they need. And if they if they need anything at all, we're there to sort of help them. And finally, we know how important the American League team is for development. And, and Mitch and his group did a great job the last couple of years in, in going down that path. And now Trent Culls, the new head coach of the AHL's Calgary Wranglers. Tell us about your uh, first impressions working with Trent and, and the new head coach of the top affiliate. Well, I, I actually knew Trent. We Trent was the underage, my overage year uh, in Owen Sound. So we, we did cross our paths a little bit earlier in our careers, but Trent would have been 16 and I would have been 19 or 20. So it was a long time ago, but um, obviously coached against Trent in the American League, uh, got to know him a little bit that, that way. And then uh, a little bit with the NHL over the last few years. So, but has some really good, uh, initial conversations with Trent just in terms of how he sees development and some of the things we're going to try to do this year, which is really exciting. The other piece to that, guys, and, and you guys know this just by being around, is is Snack and Joe are, are unbelievable in terms of that development piece. They are bought into you know, making these young players better, and they understand the process to do it, and they're 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 totally on board with it. So that's a great staff. Obviously, Mitch was was awesome too, and wish him nothing but the best. But with Trent and and Joe and Don there, I think we're we're in real good hands there. Ought to be nineteen and Owen Sound. Hey Ray, what a oh living the I life. <laughs> I can say that my my the, my entire mom's side of the family is from Owen Sound. So I uh, oh wow, I know I, I know what know I speak. That. That's crazy. I did not know that. Yeah. yeah. How many how many people how many people are proud to say they're from Owen Sound? I'm just kidding. It's a lovely town. I'm just No, oh, you better be careful. <laughs> like I know, I know, I know, I know. Uh I'm just kidding. Uh Ray, appreciate the time, man. That was awesome. We'll uh see you in the Okanagan later this week. We'll see you down uh we'll see you down uh at the rink a little bit later on this week as well. But thanks for taking some time with us this afternoon. Really appreciate the chat, hey? Guys, look forward to it. We'll see you soon. Awesome. Thanks, Ray. Thanks, Ray. Bye now. It's Ray Edwards, Director of Player Development for the Calgary Flames, joining us here on the Atlas Pizza and Sports Bar guest hotline, 15-time Consumer's Choice Award winner at 6060 Memorial Drive Northeast. For pickup or delivery, call 403-248-3344. Anything and everything Calgary Flames, it's all on Flames Talk. Sportsnet 960 The Fan. Our rolls on. Wes Gilbertson, my name is Pat Steinberg. So a Pacific Division team has uh, filled their captain's vacancy. Yes, of course, that team is not the Calgary Flames. That would be the Vancouver Canucks who have named Quinn Hughes as their next captain. Being in a Canadian market, I mean, when I moved here five years ago and started playing for the Canucks, um, I knew right away what a hockey market it is and um, how important hockey is to the city and um, the market and the people in Vancouver. And so to now be the captain, it, it's uh, an incredible honor, something that I never even dreamed of. And um, I'm going to try my best. So that was Quinn Hughes on Monday, Vancouver making that announcement. Seems like the right call. He's core player. He's locked up long term. One of the best players on the team, if not the best player. So yeah, slap the C on him. And it just adds, we don't need to get too much into 
the merits of Quinn Hughes as the Canucks captain. That's for uh, that's for Sat and Dan over at uh, six fifty on uh, Canucks Central. We can just mention it and then relate it to here in Calgary because there's another Pacific Division, Western Canadian Pacific Division team in need of a captain, a team that hasn't had one in more than two years since uh, Mark Giordano was claimed by the Seattle Kraken. Calgary Flames, they still don't have a captain, as we know. I know the text line will start to get involved because I don't know if there are very many topics that get the text line more dialed than who the next captain should be. Yeah. But when you see Quinn Hughes named as captain in Vancouver, what are your thoughts as, or or kind of the initial thoughts as it applies to who that next guy should be in Calgary? Well, I just think, you know, you, you think about Quinn Hughes and, and you did a good job of summarizing it there. You've got a key piece of, of your defense, a key piece of your core, one of your best players on the team, still lots of runway ahead of him in terms of his career, happens to lead your team in ice time, giving him the largest sort of lead by example opportunity of anyone on your roster. And I just think that sounds like Rasmus Anderson, Rasmus Anderson, Rasmus Anderson, Rasmus Anderson, and Rasmus Anderson. It's tough not, it's tough for me anyway, not to go there first as well. Yeah. And, and listen, the Calgary Flames could go another direction and, and very well may go another direction. And I don't think you and I would be on the show that day saying they've totally messed this up. How how could they have done this? But sitting here on September 11th, knowing the personnel in the locker room, at least from the vantage point of a reporter who interacts with them every day, not saying I, I'm sitting there for the pregame pep talk, but to me, Rasmus Anderson is the best choice. I, you know, I, I wrote a couple things about this yesterday, and I'll just sort of recap. Danny Austin and I were going back and forth about a few ideas, and the captain came up, and and I said, "Hey, listen, you want you want your captain to be a guy who's not afraid to speak his mind. You you want him to be a guy who's willing to pipe up." And that's Rasmus Anderson to me. You want your captain to be a guy who leads and sets the standard on the ice with the way he works. That's Rasmus Anderson to me. You want a guy who's respected. I know Rasmus Anderson is respected in the Mm -hmm. Flames locker room. I think his age and I I guess service time puts him in a, a unique spot in the sense of he he's been around the veteran players. He's good with all those guys. They go for dinner. He's an important part of the sort of social structure of the Flames team. And and yet he's young enough that he can relate to the guys who are going to be coming in as part of this youth movement. He has a great relationship with Ryan Huska, something that's been well-documented since Ryan Huska was made the head coach of the Calgary Flames. And so I thought Rasmus Anderson would be a great captain candidate six months ago. And now for me, just more and more things are pointing to number four as the best choice, again, in my opinion. It's a great choice for me as well. He's probably the guy who leads the way in terms of who I would go with just based on a lot of those things. There's only there's only one, it's not even an issue, but there's only one question and a texter brings it up 
at 960-960. Is Rasmus's term too short? I'm genuinely curious because he is a pending unrestricted free agent at the end of his, not pending, pending, but at the end of his contract, he won't be RFA. He will be UFA. He's got three years left on his deal. It expires at the end of the 25-26 season. And so... Is that term enough? Or is Quinn Hughes' term is longer in Vancouver? Or in this market, Mackenzie Weger, Jonathan Huberdeau, both have longer terms and, and longer guaranteed tenures as members of the Flames than Erasmus does. That's the only question I have. Now, for me, not all that much of a worry. In fact, I think that that just incentivizes Rasmus to sign here long-term that much more, and that's best-case scenario, whether he... What is he at right now? He's at four five five or whatever. If you go, he probably almost doubles his salary yeah. on his next deal. That's a sweetheart deal, isn't it? Oh, it's it's one of the top two or three that Brad Tree Living signed as a member of the of the Flames. Like him and Hannafin and Lindholm are all right up there for yeah. absolute home runs. And so I guess um, that would be my only question. I don't worry about it the same way myself that perhaps others would, but I get it if that's a big consideration for you listening. Let, let me address that part and then throw in the, the sort of question that I have. I, I personally don't think the term left on the contract is a huge deal. In fact, a year ago, I was banging the drum for Michael Backlund with, at that point, two years left on his deal and becoming an older player to be the next captain of the Calgary Flames. I don't think given Michael Backlund's honesty about wanting to take a wait-and-see approach. I don't think he can be a candidate anymore, but it would be hypocritical for me, who was last year saying Michael Backlund should be the captain, to say three years left is not enough runway for Rasmus Anderson. That's not something I'd worry about. My only question is potentially, not the impact it would have, but you know, is there any reason that Rasmus Anderson didn't have a letter last season and do you look at that as skipping a step in his sort of evolution as as a part of your leadership crew I know he's looked at as part of that kind of leadership core at the Saddle Dome but if there was one thing that would make me more comfortable about Rasmus Anderson being the next captain of the Calgary Flames in my opinion it would be if he already had an A on his jersey. And I know you're always worried about how things are going to be perceived. And Rasmus himself would tell you that if they were going to make him captain, he wouldn't want it to tick off anyone else in the room. So then you look at, okay, well, the four guys who have A's, who as of now are still here, how do they feel about mm -hmm. someone who wasn't wearing a letter kind of leapfrogging them into the captaincy. I don't think it's an issue, but if we're, I guess, nitpicking, if we're raising those potential issues, that's one I wonder about. Well, and it's funny because you mentioned Backland. I agree completely. Uh, this text says if they sign Lindholm, he should be the next captain. I'd have no problem with that. You know, if Lindholm commits for eight years, yeah, he absolutely should be a front runner, if yep. not the front runner for it. But can you, and are, are we, I guess my question is, are we getting too caught up in the term in that if Michael Backlund's the best choice to be captain right now, could he not just be captain regardless of what, like if, could you not name Michael Backlund captain now 
And then if he gets traded or doesn't come back, then you name somebody else captain. Is there a like is there anything wrong with that? I've had that I've I've had that internal debate in my head right. over the last little bit because I am guilty in getting caught up. Well, it's gotta be somebody signed long term. It's gotta be signed somebody long term. That's who everybody every other team does it. But are we getting too caught up in that? I don't know. I don't know. Like I I, I asked that question openly, not without a predetermined answer, because I honestly don't know the answer to it. You know, an interesting case study to go back to, and, and it'd be fascinating to ask how the brass in Seattle feel about the fact that they made Mark Giordano their first captain. And I understand we're not talking apples to apples when you compare the Flames to a, a team that was just put together yep. as an expansion team, didn't have any sort of preconceived notions of who was the behind-the-scenes leader. But it it was pretty apparent if the Seattle Kraken did not make the playoffs in that first season that they were going to trade Mark Giordano at the deadline and, and take advantage of, of that chip and, and I guess cash it in. And so it'd be interesting now to go to the higher ups in Seattle and say, you know, was that the right call? Did, did your leadership develop the way you needed it to with Mark Giordano in that role for only a few months? Yeah. Now, yeah. the difference being, this would be Michael Backlund potentially. It's too harsh to say forcing his way out of town, but if you say I'm not resigning, I guess that's what you're doing. And so I think it hits different when your captain says, I'm not sure about staying because I'm not yet convinced. And obviously I'm paraphrasing, but I'm not yet convinced that we can win here. I don't think that honesty. And I love it. I love the honesty from Michael Backlund, but I just don't think that can be coming from your captain. Very fair. This text says looks bad on the team. If you trade the captain in year one, uh, Matt and Cochran says it's a bad look like the Kraken naming geo captain, then trading him months later, by the way, I mean, geo was probably quite happy to be dealt at the time. He went to a playoff team, got to be back in the postseason. Uh, and be on his hometown team. It worked out really well for him. But, yeah, it's, it's all very fair. Um, this says, I think term is intention and commitment through whatever comes your way. It's hard to put your faith and trust in someone with one foot out the door. Admittedly, that's more Backlund than Anderson, to your point. Kevin and Carstairs, I don't think how much time is left on the contract should have any bearing on them doing a huge job for the team as long as they do their best while in that possession position. On a second note, if the Flames believe the captain's position was so valuable, um, the time didn't matter. Uh, why did they leave Giordano unprotected during the draft? Well, that was that was a different circumstance where he kind of didn't have much of a choice when it was all said and done. That's one that I think Brad Living took too much heat on was leaving Giordano unprotected. You couldn't do it differently. I don't, and you couldn't trade him. Like I, it just, it was what it was. Yeah, absolutely. I let me let me play the maybe devil's advocate on the the term conversation or or just the kind of the opposite way to look at it. And, and I think there's a potential benefit of having some turnover in your leadership committee over the years because it allows some of your young players to then grow into leadership roles. So let's just say Elias Lindholm signs an eight-year deal and you make him your next captain. Fair enough. And let's say then you go with 
Huberto and Mackenzie Weger as your alternate captains. Again, just hypothetically, but now you've got your leadership committee signed for the next seven to eight years. You could throw Nazem Kadri in there if you want. Yep. Fits the example as well. Well, then when Jacob Pelche is blossoming into one of those guys in the locker room who has a bigger voice, who is ready to be a part of that leadership committee, it's a controversy if you take it away from someone else. And so I'm not advocating for your captain being a sort of rotating cast every year, but you don't have to base your leadership on who's signed for the longest because quite frankly, you're going to want to freshen that up every once in a while. Yep. Just another way to look at it. A few more texts at 960, as we start to wrap this hour. Hacksaw says, hey, buddies, I think you're overanalyzing it. Just give the damn C to Huberdo, highest paid player, eight-year contract, and likes the role of being a captain. Ryan Leslie made some really good points last week on Flames Talk about just that, about the way he carries himself and the way that he wants that challenge. He wants to be a leader. Yeah. He's really leaned more into that, even more so, because it's kind of hard to take on a leadership role last summer when you haven't played a game with a new team. This year, he went through the rough first year. He's been accountable. He's owned it but he's still one of the older players on the team and one of the highest profile players on the team, if not the highest profile player on the team. It's kind of funny, isn't it, to look at your highest paid and potentially highest profile player as a dark horse in your captain conversation because that is sort of describing your captain in a whole bunch of other cities. Yep. But I think that's probably exactly what he is. You're right. I listened to that clip with Ryan really some really great points on why Jonathan Huberto should be in that conversation. And and it's totally reasonable to think that at the golf tournament on Wednesday or on the first day of training camp a week from now, Jonathan Huberto might come out and say, Hey, I'd like to be the captain of the Calgary flames. And then you're going to have two or three or four, including Mackenzie Weger and Rasmus Anderson on record somewhere saying, yeah, it would be an honor to wear the seat. Not, it has to be me, mm-hmm. but I'd really be honored. And that's probably a good thing if you're the Calgary Flames because this team needs a captain and it's certainly not a negative to have several guys that are, quite frankly, pretty good candidates yep. for it. Uh, wrap it up with a few more texts, 960-960. While she says, if it doesn't work with Anderson as captain, it's easy to change when his term ends. Uh, this says, why is hockey so obsessed with one long-term captain? Why not take after football who assigns captains every year, depending on who the team believes is best suited for the role? Uh, this reads, come on, it's got to be Mackenzie Weger. He got us the arena after all, in all seriousness. Shouldn't it be Rasmus? He bought into Ryan Huska's coaching and got better, so he can sell that message to the rest of the team more easily. And finally, from Noah, Weegs for captain, not even a question. There you go, a little bit more. Told you it would uh, light up the text line at 960-960 because it always does. He's Wes Gilbertson on Twitter at Wes Gilbertson. My name is Pat Steinberg, Taylor Dingman, Cam Hughes, our producers this hour as we start to wrap things up. This hour has been the Sports Drive, brought to you by Calgary Lock and Safe. Save $450 on the Braun EV5922 gun safe, now just $1450, or explore the full line of safes at calgarylockandsafe.com.